place. Amen. And we're going to look into the word of the Lord. I'm, I'm going to read from a, one verse of scripture tonight. And while I do that, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that I'm teaching tonight on this very verse uh, that we're going to be reading from. In fact, it's even my title. And it is Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. I want to talk to you tonight about Acts 2, 38. Everybody said amen. amen. Acts 2, 38. Now, to the uh, apostolic Pentecostal person who perhaps has been in, we say, in Pentecost for a number of years, while you're familiar with this verse of Scripture, in fact, this is a hallmark, foundational pillar uh, scripture of our fundamental doctrine, what we believe about uh, salvation, what the Bible teaches us about salvation. So I want to read it to you to refresh your memory or to introduce you to this verse of scripture perhaps for the very first time. Acts 2 verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Every word of that verse is so profound in its correct context. And I feel sometimes that Acts 2.38, along with many other verses of Scripture in the Word of the Lord, can sometimes... Just uh, be, we can be dismissive of them. We think we can quote them inside and out. We think we know them so well that maybe they don't have anything further to teach us. Uh, but be that as we may think it to be sometimes, the Word of God always has more to teach you. And, uh, and furthermore, it's good to reiterate what you already know about God. To firm up the foundation, particularly when there are great storms occurring around you. It is important that your feet are established upon the rock of the Word of God. And so we want to talk tonight a little bit about Acts 2, 38. Uh, it's important to know the context of this scripture. Acts 2, 38 is special to us. And to anybody who is a believer, it needs to be special. It has been a verse of Scripture that has brought great comfort because it teaches us the way to salvation. It teaches us the access we have into the great salvation that comes from the Lord. But those who adhere to it and those who lay claim to it, those who believe in it, have often been persecuted for their belief in the potency of these words in the word of the Lord that were spoken by the Apostle Peter in the upper room. Some things I want you to know about the context of this. Number one, this verse of Scripture, Acts 2.38. Everybody say that, Acts 2.38. I don't want any uh, uh, child, teenager, young adult, uh, elder, middle age, whatever. I don't want anybody to be at Tree of Life Church very long and not hear, understand, be able to quote Acts 2.38. I want when we hear those words, Acts 2.38, that means something to us. Hallelujah. 
And it may not be popularized in the Christian community, but there's a difference between the Christian community and the body of Christ. It may not be popularized. In fact, that those that lay claim to this verse of Scripture are often seen and described as being too loyal to this verse of Scripture. I've heard people even say, you've got to have more than Acts 2.38. Well, I understand the, the, the logic behind the concept that there, there are, there's a lot of Bible here to, to learn and to understand. And so to that I would, I would, I would say, yes, there's, there, there's obviously a lot more than Acts 2.38, but Acts 2.38 is the foundation from which everything else in the Word of God flows. And we've been talking a lot about foundation, particularly the oneness of God, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is the foundation of our understanding about God, that He is one Lord. Everything else that we learn about God, understand about God, flows from and does not contradict the fact that He is the Lord our God and He is one Lord. The same is true of Acts 2.38. It is the foundation upon which we understand how salvation works. Number one, this occurred at a very important moment in the history of the church. This Day in Acts 2.38, when this scripture was, was spoken, it occurred on the day of the church's birth. It occurred when the Holy Spirit of God was first poured out upon anybody, upon the people. It was the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel prophesied when he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, saith the Lord. That fulfilled prophecy occurred in the upper room in Jerusalem and it occurred 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the day of Pentecost. It was the feast of Pentecost or Shavuot. Now you have to understand, they were celebrating Pentecost. Pentecost it means 50 days. 50 days after the a feast of first fruits, 50 days after Passover. And it was 50 days after the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that feast was tied to when Moses first received the law of God upon Mount Sinai. When he received the law of God upon Mount Sinai, that was when the Lord wrote the law upon tablets of stone. But in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, 50 days, this was when the law of God was written upon the hearts of mankind. Not merely upon tablets of stone where a man had to look externally from his being upon tablets of stone and try to figure out what was required of him. No, this law was written on the inside of man. And that's what occurred when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. This was the birthday of the church. They were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 38 opens with the word then. That's an important word. The word then gives you an understanding about what the rest of the verse had to do with. It did not occur randomly or arbitrarily. It came at a certain point on the day of Pentecost. It came when 
the people who were hearing the gospel for the first time were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do then? Peter said, hallelujah. Then, when their heart was made tender, when their heart was made ready, when their spirit was pure and humble and prepared to receive the word of the Lord, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the birthday of the church occurred on the day of Pentecost at the or in the upper room in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's how Acts 2 begins. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now that's not just talking about the day of Pentecost having arrived. It's talking about when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. This all that they had experienced about the day of Pentecost, all that they had experienced about the feast of Shavuot, all that they had experienced about Moses receiving the law on tablets of stone, everything they had experienced regarding the day of Pentecost was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. No need for a natural uh, demonstration of Pentecost because it had been fulfilled and it had been fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. They were there. Why were they with one accord in one place? Jesus told them to go there. He told them to go there and explain to them that they should wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father was that he would pour out his spirit upon them. And he would fill them with his spirit. So they waited in Jerusalem in the upper room for the promise of the Father. When the day of Pentecost had arrived and was fulfilled in totality, where did it find these people? They were with one accord. They were in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. You know, this is why we pray to God for a move of God. This is why we come together to unite in prayer for God to pour out His Spirit because something happens when the people of God begin to pray for the Lord to have His way. Then the glory of the Lord comes on down. They were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, diverse kinds of tongues. They were like fire and they sat upon each of them. And they were all, all of them were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now... There were devout Jews out of every nation under heaven. Everybody say every nation. I'm in Acts chapter 2. Feel free to follow along. I'm in the first few verses of Acts chapter 2. Devout Jews out of every nation under heaven. Every known nation up to that point was represented in 
the upper room. Devout Jews out of every nation under heaven were in the upper room because this was noised abroad what was happening in the upper room. Let me tell you something. When a Holy Ghost revival begins to, to set aflame the people of God, it is noised abroad what the Lord is doing. And they came to that upper room and they, they, they looked at what was happening. One side of the crowd was somewhat educated and spoke multiple languages. When they walked into the upper room, remember, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. While they're speaking in other tongues, these devout Jews walk in and see them speaking in tongues and they hear that they are speaking languages they don't, that they don't know. But these devout Jews who are well-educated and speak multiple languages hear them. They say to one another, these are Galileans. How do they speak in languages that they do not know? They're speaking Arabic, Phrygian, Pamphylian, Grecian. They're speaking all sorts of different languages. And those who are from those nations hear them speaking the tongues wherein they were born. And it shocked them. And they looked at one another and they said, what meaneth this? Everybody say this. I'm having you repeat things because we're going to come back to it in a minute. What meaneth this? That was their big question. This doesn't make sense. This is confusing. They're speaking in tongues. What does this mean? They're speaking in languages they don't know, but we understand that they are glorifying the God of heaven in a language they have never spoken before and have never learned. And so they said, what meaneth this? Now there was another side. There was another group. This group apparently didn't speak multiple languages. It's the group I'd be in, you know. And, and they're looking at this. They don't know how to make sense of it. And they say, I've seen this before. These folks are walking around, stumbling around. They're, they're speaking incoherently. And they said, I know exactly what this is. They're drunk. They're intoxicated. And, and they said, these men are full of new wine. Peter, standing up with the eleven, said unto those that were there, he said, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These men, he's, now he's talking to the people that thought they were drunk. These men are not drunk as you supposed. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. This is so early in the day. Listen, they're not drunk as you suppose. Then he turns to the group that, that asked him a question. What does this mean? And he said, this, I'm going to answer your question, this, everybody say this, this is that. Hallelujah. You wanted to know what this is. What is this? This is them speaking in tongues. This is them speaking languages they never could have known. They did not know. Nobody taught it to them. What does this mean was the question. The answer was, this is that that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, saying, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. On my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. 
He was letting them know this speaking in tongues that you're seeing is that outpouring of the Holy Ghost that was foretold by the prophet Joel. So I just want you to understand what was setting the stage for Acts 2 and 38. Okay? He proceeds to preach one of the most magnificent messages concerning the entrance of Messiah into the world. And the fact that Jesus is Messiah. He brought forth the scriptures of the Old Testament. Scriptures that described how that Jesus would be the Messiah. For instance, he brought up the prophet David. He said, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. That he is both dead and buried. His sepulcher, verse 29 of Acts 2. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, and Jesus was of the fruit of David's loins. This is why they would often refer to him as Jesus, thou son of David. The Jews knew that the Messiah would come as a son of David. And so when they called him Jesus, thou son of David, uh, notably when the blind man reached, called out to him and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He was letting him know, you are the Messiah, and I know it. Have mercy on me. David, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Messiah to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. David had a revelation about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know how you and I have a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we didn't see it happen? In the same context, the Old Testament believers had a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though they didn't see it happen. It is a revelation that comes by faith. What makes the apostles so unique is that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Oh, hallelujah. They saw it with their natural eyes. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the powers of their generation, culture, and world presently at that time forced them or, or, or tried to coerce them to recant the statement that Jesus rose from the dead. They threatened them. They threatened their families. They threatened their loved ones. They, they absolutely martyred most of them. All but John was persecuted until total martyrdom. And they died never recanting the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They were put to death knowing that he rose from the dead, and they refused. Now, if he hadn't risen from the dead, it would have been an easy thing for them to just slip out from under the radar and go on with their life. But the truth is, he rose from the dead, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And those eyewitnesses of his majesty said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Hallelujah. But David had a revelation of the resurrection of Christ, and he said, 
he's being this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. That is a quote from the book of Psalms, where David said, Thou wilt not leave thy soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And Peter is telling them on the day of Pentecost that when David said that, he spake of the resurrection of Christ. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we, and he's talking about us standing up with the eleven, those that followed him, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. What he is explaining here is that when Jesus rose from the dead he rose from the dead in power as the only begotten son of god and he sits on the right hand of god not in a natural form and not in a in a form of being a separate person or a separate entity we know this because we go back to our foundation and our foundation lets us know there's only one lord and Isaiah made it even more clear when he said, Beside me there is none other. So there's not a physical or separate person sitting at the right hand of God. When the Bible says that he sits on the right hand of God, it refers to his power. He is the power and the wisdom and the righteousness of God. What is the wisdom? Redemption. Righteousness, sanctification, power, glory, and grace of God in this earth. It is the fact that God became a man. Hallelujah. And he took upon himself all the pain and the sin and the shame and the suffering and the sorrow and the transgression and the iniquity of all mankind. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all and it pleased the Father to bruise him. Hallelujah. Now so the Bible says that he sits on the right hand until... I make thy foes thy footstool. I want you to understand, he is on the right hand of God until every enemy of God is subdued. And that is where we are right now. Every enemy is being subdued. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Hallelujah. And, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And that's going to occur at the coming of Jesus Christ when he raises his church up. Those that are alive and remain and those that are dead in Christ. They shall rise up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. To the church at Corinth, Paul said this. He said, when this happens, this mortal shall take on immortality. 
and this corruptible shall take on incorruption. He means this body that is able to be corrupted will take on incorruption. And this body that is mortal and able to die will take on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God will operate in the operation as both Father and Son. Until all the foes and enemies of God are brought into subjection, the last enemy being death. At that time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the scripture says that the Son shall deliver the kingdom to the Father, that God may be all in all, and God will no longer have to operate as the Son any longer because he will have ransomed his people, and his people are his son. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. He was bringing the world unto himself, all people. I said all people. All people of every nation, language, creed, kindred, no matter where you come from. He said, whosoever will, let him come. Let him come unto me and drink of the waters of life freely. They are reconciled unto God in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I could just talk about this all night long. Glory to God. This, this, his people are his son. That's why he told Pharaoh, told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. We hear that. We talk about that. That's not all he said. He said, let my people go. Yes, but he said, tell him to let my son go. Israel is my firstborn son. That's what he was saying. See, we are the sons of God. God became the only begotten Son of God so that we could be His sons again. As it stands in our unregenerated state, we are sons of the devil. In our unregenerated state, we have a father who is a liar and the father of all liars, and that's the devil himself. And I want you to know, if anybody's telling you something different, the devil is a liar. You have got to come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Be born again and become a son of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. So, so that's, what, that's what Peter was saying. He said, David was saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. So, so this is... This is God who is Father, who has come into the world as the only begotten Son of God. And he speaks to the man, Christ Jesus, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. The operation and the work of the man, Christ Jesus, is to bring all things unto himself. Reconciling the world unto himself. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. This is why we have one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. It is the work, the efficacy of the work of the man, Christ Jesus, that is our mediator to Almighty God. Hallelujah. So the Bible said, therefore, in verse 36, let all the house of Israel, Acts 2 and 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, that same Jesus, the one you crucified, the one you ridiculed, the one that you persecuted, the one that you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. He's both Elohim and Messiah. He's both Yahweh and the anointed one. He is both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They weren't pricked in their heart when they didn't know who he was. They weren't pricked in their heart when they thought he was just a great teacher. They weren't pricked in their heart when they thought he was a religious leader. They weren't pricked in their heart when they knew they had bruised him, wounded him, crucified him. They were pricked in their heart when they realized he was Yahweh and Messiah. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they, ladies and gentlemen, they panicked. They didn't know what to do. They said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They grabbed them by the lapels, if you please. What shall we do? They realized that they had messed up. What shall we do? They realized they were destined for damnation. What shall we do? They realized that their transgression was too great to be rectified. What shall we do? They realized they had committed an unpardonable sin. What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them. Woo, hallelujah. My God, when they asked him, we've got so much grotesqueness of sin and iniquity and transgression and blood dripping off our hands and we don't know how to cleanse ourselves from the body of Christ that we have so brutally crucified. Then Peter said unto them, there is a way of escape from your condemnation. What he said next explained to them the way they could climb out of whatever hole they were in. That they could crawl up out of whatever pit they had sunken into. However deep it was. However filthy it was. However terrible their life had been. Whatever sin they had committed. He was getting ready to drop Jacob's ladder down into their pit. And let them climb up into the glory of God. That's what Acts 2.38 is. And I will never stop preaching it. We will never compromise on it. This is the way. Walk ye in it. My God. My God. Woo. Hallelujah. No, I'm not going to drop a different ladder down into people's pit. 
just because it's a ladder that's more acceptable with religious culture. No, I'm not going to drop a ladder that doesn't go down far enough. I'm not going to drop down a ladder that doesn't have sturdy enough rungs on it. I'm not going to drop down some kind of a fake means of escape that people can't really get a hold of and really be saved and really be delivered. No, this is the plan of God's salvation. This is the plan of God's salvation. Uh, our world is crying out, what shall we do? Our generation is crying out, what shall we do? This world is crying out, what shall we do? Everybody listen closely, ladies and gentlemen, to the world you live in. Everywhere you go, on the job, on the news, doesn't matter where they are, they're all saying the same thing. What shall we do? What shall we do? And I've come to tell Tree of Life Church and anybody that will listen to me, the answer to that question has not changed and it will not change this side of glory there is an answer and the answer is repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost hallelujah hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. This is the plan of God's salvation. It starts with repenting, repenting. You and I have been so numbed by the culture of our world to think that sin has become tolerable. It is tolerable by the father of liars. He has lied to you. Just like he lied to Eve when he told her that it really didn't matter. She didn't really have to be obedient to God. I want you to know, if you have sin in your heart, you will not see God. If you have sin in your spirit, you will not see God. If you have sin in your body, you will not see God. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't pretend it away. We can't give in to popular culture, be patted on the back by everybody else on the broad way that leads to destruction and think that we are going to be okay just because this world that is lost, confused, and living in utter chaos approves of our lifestyle. You must repent. You must come out of that sin. You must walk away from it. You must repent. This is the only way. This is the only answer to the question, what shall we do? You may not like the answer, but it is the truth. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven because people don't like the answer. But the answer is right. You must repent. You must repent. You must repent. You must come up out of that sin. You must come out of that transgressive lifestyle. Hallelujah. You must repent. You, you've got to be separated unto the Lord. You, you, have, you say, I'm having a hard time with it. Listen, this, this is the part of the plan of salvation that is the toughest part because it has to do with the death of Jesus Christ. It correlates with the death of Jesus Christ. So people struggle with this 
part of the plan of God's salvation because it involves crucifixion of flesh. It involves the death of flesh. It involves the death of your desires, your carnal desires. When are you going to wake up and understand that your carnal desires are the root of all of your problems? When are you going to understand? When are you going to be honest with yourself and God and, and, and wake up to the reality that it is your selfish, indulgent ways that keep getting you into trouble over and over. It is, it is evident in this life you're living right now that the reaping you're doing, you're not reaping it. You're not even waiting to reap it in eternity. You're reaping it right now. You're miserable. You're depressed. You're sad all the time. You're broken in your heart, your mind, and your spirit. And you think when you hear a message like this that this doesn't have any power to it. Or maybe you think you don't have the ability to live up to it. I rebuke any kind of an objection to the truth of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. And that includes you. Let your own heart be the liar. And let God be true. Repent. 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 Hallelujah. That's a harsh message, pastor, to keep preaching repent. No, no, I'm preaching it. I'm preaching it to me. I'm preaching it to you. I'm preaching it to whoever walked in that's never been in church before in their life. I'm preaching it to the person that's been here for 50 years. Repent. Paul said, I die daily, every single day of my life. I have to make a conscious decision. I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn from wicked habits. I'm going to turn from wicked thoughts. I'm going to turn from wicked ideas. I'm going to turn from wicked living. I'm going to turn from it hallelujah you say well I've tried and it doesn't work for me go to God in prayer the Lord will help you the Lord will help you can I get a witness of somebody that knows that the Lord will help you ha! glory the Lord will help you he'll give you strength I said he'll give you strength if you come to him and say, Lord, I'm coming to you because I need you to help me repent. I'm having trouble turning. Listen, don't ever be afraid to talk to God about anything. About anything. You say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want you to be a hypocrite either. But you're not a hypocrite for trying. You're not a hypocrite for struggling. My God in heaven, you're not a hypocrite because you want to serve God and are having trouble doing it. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. You go back to God in prayer and say, Lord, I really want to serve you. Help me. Help me. And believe in your heart that he'll help you. And I want you to know he'll come riding upon the wings of the wind to give you power over the sin in your life. Yes, he'll do it. My God will do it. He's a good God. You're good. Good. So good. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's not an outdated message. It's as relevant today as it has ever been. It is so relevant to where our world is living right now. Ezekiel chapter 18. Hallelujah. Verse number 20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. 
The righteous of the righteousness shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions, all of them, all of them, the ones folks know about and the ones folks don't know about, all of them, all his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. God's not going to bring it up if you will turn from your wicked ways. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord? Hallelujah. And not that he should return from his ways and live. <laughs> but when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. How are you repenting? Repenting just means turning. So which way are you repenting? Are you turning from wickedness to righteousness or from righteousness to wickedness? Because if you're turning from righteousness to wickedness, it doesn't matter how righteous you've been, it will be forgotten. But if you're turning from wickedness to righteousness, it doesn't matter how wicked you've been, it will be forgotten. Repent! Repent! Peter said, Repent! And, and I'm trying, but I don't know, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I don't know how to live an overcoming life. Repent. And here it is. Here's a, there's a conjunction to repentance. It's not repentance by itself. He, he tells you how to repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. Hallelujah. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now let me explain to you what's happening when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a reason that you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that is the name that has power over death. Over sin, over sickness, over sorrow, over hell, over the grave. This is the name that has authority over all of the temptation, over all of the diseases. This is the name that exercised power and authority. This is why those demons that spoke to the seven sons of Sceva said, Jesus, I know. <laughs> And Paul I know, but who are you? That name Jesus has power. Hallelujah. That name Jesus is the covenant name. And if you're baptized into that name, let me tell you that you lose your identity. And you may not want to lose your identity. You're going to have to come to terms with that. Because you've got to relinquish your identity. You've, why? Why? Why do I have to relinquish my identity? Because your identity is tainted by the sins you've committed. It's on your record. Sin doesn't forget. Death doesn't forget. 
You've got to go into a witness protection program to get over that stuff. You've got to assume a new identity. You've got to take on a new name. You, my God, you have to come in under and into a name that does not have that record in order to escape that damnation. Your name is going to the grave. Your name is going to the pit. Your name, my name, we've already sinned. We've already come short of the glory of God. There's no reversing that. It's done. You're going to hell. It's done. Unless you assume a new identity. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not a ritual. It's not a ceremony. It's, it's not some kind of a little thing that you can take it or leave it. And, and you guys put so much emphasis on the baptismal. And I'm, and I'm so tired of hearing religious officials saying it doesn't matter how you're baptized. If it didn't matter how you're baptized, the apostles wouldn't have been so focused on making sure that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when asked about it, the apostles made it clear, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. you got to have a new identity. Joel Urshan, without the blood of Jesus, is already destined for damnation. Joel Urshan, without the covering of his grace, the covering of his blood, is already lost and on his way to hell. Oh, but thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Can I quote it? Who hath given us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing when I'm baptized into his name. I go down as Joel Urshan, the sinner, but I come up as a new creation. In Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Now you got to be careful. Because the enemy will try to tempt you back. Into the old man. That you let die in those waters. We were immersed in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. We were not sprinkled. We were immersed. And we were not baptized as infants. When we didn't know what was happening. We Decided by faith to believe in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And we were immersed. We were buried. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You might have come up out of the water, but you need to remain buried. There's too many, too many saints of God that have been immersed once. But don't immerse themselves continually. And I'm not talking about the natural water now. I'm talking about immersing themselves into the presence of God. Immersing themselves into the word so that they can understand again and again their new identity. Why do you preach Jesus so much, Pastor? Because I'm trying to help you understand your identity. When I preach Jesus, I'm preaching who you are designed to be. Who do you think Jesus was referring to when he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Who do you think he was describing? He was describing himself. You become that 
by being baptized into his identity. But it's him who's meek. It's him who's poor in spirit. It's him who's pure in heart. It's him who's the peacemaker. It's him who's the salt of the earth. It's him who's the light of the world. It's he who is the city on a hill that can't be hid. That's, that's who that is. You and I become that by virtue of our identity changing to that of a son of God washed in the blood of the lamb filled with his spirit when you're baptized into the name of Jesus Christ we say that's when the blood the blood of the lamb the blood of the lamb comes upon us and 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 why why is that significant because that's the DNA that's the identity it's not just a name change it is a DNA change a spiritual DNA change hallelujah glory to God my body holds the record of my sins it does. This corruptible body contains the documentation of my sins and my iniquities. But it has been immersed in the name of Jesus Christ by faith in the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have repented from those sins. And ladies and gentlemen, that qualifies me to be able to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by promise. You know, you can receive the Holy Ghost before you're baptized in Jesus' name. I've seen people repent of their sins and then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost immediately. That's, that's all right. That happened in Acts chapter 10. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. But they still had had to be baptized. Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. He did not negotiate with them. He did not try to coerce them. He did not try to plead with them. He commanded them. He didn't try to bait them into it. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost comes inside of you, that is the Spirit of Almighty God living on the inside of you. And this is why, listen, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Have you noticed that in 2020, I know we've got our problems and we've got our issues, but you go back 2,000 years ago to the world Jesus arrived at, that was a barbaric world. That world was filled with, with murderous madmen and maniacs and it was the worst kind of perversion that you could ever imagine it was diabolical the kinds of living that went on just 2,000 years ago what changed what changed the world from barbarism to civilization for the most part it is the influence of the spirit of the living God at work in the earth it is the influence of the church It is the prevalence of the Holy Ghost in this world. And that Spirit of God gets down on the inside of you. Now, when the Spirit comes inside of you, you're going to speak with other tongues. That's what they did in Acts chapter 2. They spoke with tongues. They, in, in Acts chapter 10, they spoke with tongues. In Acts chapter 19, they spoke with tongues. In Acts chapter 8 is the only place where they received the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts that it does not say they spoke in tongues, but it does say that when Simon saw them receive the Holy Ghost. So he saw something. He witnessed something. And he had the same reaction to it that other bystanders and observers had to people speaking in other tongues. So if, if it's consistent, and it is, 
They received the Holy Ghost, and when they did, people spoke in tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. That happens because the tongue is the most unruly member of your body. No man can tame the tongue. It is unruly. It is like the bit put in the horse's mouth, though. If you can get a hold of the tongue, you can get a hold of the whole body. This corruptible, mortal body can be tamed if the tongue can be tamed. So, so, so when we speak with other tongues, it is our tongue coming into subjection to the things of God, to the Spirit of God, and by that measure, God contains and tames the whole body. I'm going to go further. All right, you ready? When God, not only is the body of an individual tamed when the tongue is tamed, but the body of Christ comes into alignment. When the tongue is tamed. When your tongue is yielded to the will of God, the body of Christ will come into alignment. Glory to God. Watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. Watch your tongue. Because the body gets unwieldy when you let your tongue just go crazy. When you let your tongue wound a brother or sister when you let your tongue gossip when you let your tongue lie when you let your tongue curse it, 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 it hurts the body but the whole body comes into order when our tongues are tamed and in alignment with the word of God hallelujah when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost our tongue is yielded to God and our whole body comes into order Immediately as the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And that's why we praise God every day. And we praise God not only with the words we understand, but we praise God with the words that we don't understand. We praise Him in the tongues of men and of angels. Now you don't do it without love. If you do it without love, then you're like tinkling brass, tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. But you do it with the love of God. Hallelujah. And the whole body comes into order. This is the tongue that God tames. And it happens when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you speak with other tongues. Then you begin to speak with new tongues. You don't curse like you used to curse. You bless instead of curse. You don't lie like you used to lie. You're honest now instead of lying. You don't gossip. Now you uplift, you encourage, and you edify. I'm talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, hallelujah, he shall quicken your mortal body. Glory to God, the Holy Ghost inside of you will quicken your mortal body and you will come to life at the resurrection of the church. Thank you, Jesus. This happens through the power of the Holy Ghost. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. How do we become one? We do not become one by everybody doing their best to be one. We become one by everybody being reconciled unto Christ. Everybody being reconciled unto Christ. When everybody is reconciled unto Christ. You know one of the reasons why you have trouble living in Christ, thriving in Christ, is you've got some things you haven't reconciled. And you've got to make your way to an old-fashioned altar and be reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. Could you lift your hands right now all across this building? Hallelujah. Could you just give God praise right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. As our singers come, let's, let's receive the word of the Lord right now. 
Acts 2.38 isn't just something that we hear one time or obey one time or experience one time. It is the crux of the whole matter of living for God, being saved. Hallelujah. It is the foundation upon which our walk with God is established. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. That's it. If there's something you need to repent from, go ahead and repent from it right now in the name of Jesus. If there's something you need to reconcile with God, go ahead and reconcile it with God right now. If there's something that you need to immerse, if you need to immerse yourself again in the word of the Lord, go ahead and immerse yourself in the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you need to immerse yourself in the presence of God, go ahead and immerse yourself in the presence of God. Ha! Glory. Hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Come on, all across this building. All across this building, just give God praise right now. Could you stand with me in the name of the Lord? Come on, could you stand with me in the name of the Lord? If you've received the Holy Ghost, I want you to give God praise for filling you with the Holy Ghost. You're the most blessed people on earth if he's filled you with his spirit. If you've had your sins washed away, could you give God praise that he washed your sins away? You're the most blessed people on earth for having your sins washed away. <laughs> if you've been able to turn from your wicked ways, could you just give God praise right now that he would allow you to turn from your wicked ways? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's lift up our hands unto the Lord. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord. We praise you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to listen to me for just a second. This coming Sunday, we're going to have a special Ready Now Sunday. Special Ready Now Sunday. We've got a big announcement coming on Sunday. If you're tuning in tonight, we're thankful that you're tuning in. We love you, we miss you, and we're grateful that you're tuning in. Please continue to tune in, and you definitely want to tune in on Sunday. You want to be here if you can be. If you're attending in person, we're going to be making a beautiful, wonderful announcement. Ready now. Amen is on the move, and we're thankful to God for it. And we want God to continue to do his mighty work in our lives. In Jesus' name. I, I, I'm going to ask Brother Duvall to come right now, if he will. And uh, 